Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. Co-hosts Dr. Reed Hayes of the Loss Prevention Research Council and Tom Meehan of Control Tech discuss a wide range of topics with industry experts, thought leaders, solution providers, and many more. In this episode, LP Director of Florum Decor, Tony Alosio, discusses detecting and investigating different types of fraud, collaborating with other retail chains and law enforcement, and much more. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Use Bosch Camera's onboard intelligent video analytics to quickly locate important recorded incidents or events. Bosch's forensic search saves you time and money by searching through hours or days of video within minutes to find and collect video evidence. Learn more about intelligent video analytics from Bosch in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. All right. So I want to welcome everybody again to another uh, episode of Crime Science Podcast, uh, live here from Gainesville, Florida, the LPRC and the University of Florida. Um, today, what we're going to do is talk a little bit about fraud. Uh, as many of you know, the LPRC and the UF team, we're charged with um, helping uh, our members of the LPRC get better and better at controlling and reducing theft and fraud and violence. And I was just talking with our uh, today's guest, Tony, that uh, I'm just not uh, sure that we're doing enough justice to fraud, that that's such a vast growing threat and real world problem for every retailer, every business, every person, every citizen out there today. Um, and I go back a lot with Tony. Um, we've known each other for years when he was at the Home Depot, of course, Walmart, and now Floor and Decor. So um, without further ado, Tony Aloisio, um, I wanted to welcome to uh, you to Crime Science. Um, and Tom, I wanted to welcome you, my um, partner in crime here at Crime Science, uh, Tom Meehan from Control Tech. Um, Tony, if I could, uh, maybe how did you get into the LP, AP field? What was kind of your first entree into the business? Uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Good afternoon, everybody. Yeah, it was it was kind of strange. I, I was going to college. Uh, I was a chemistry major, uh, and uh, some family situations changed, and the money dried up, and I needed to start working. So I started working for Kmart in uh, Altamont Springs catching shoplifters, which I think is where I, I think I first met you as well back about 1984, 85. Yes. Tom wasn't born then. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> about uh, Seminole County, Florida. Yeah, work, working in uh, working catching shoplifters, um, and you know it, it paid the bills, and, and as I progressed through working for that company and then, you know, through others, I seemed to have some kind of knack for for the internal side. Um, the AP field in general was just, at, at the time, it was catching shoplifters. Uh, you, you went out the door after everybody. You, you didn't get a stat if you didn't come back, you know, with somebody in tow. Um, it, was, it was a different attitude then, and, and it was fun for, you know, a 20-something kid um, who didn't want to move back home anytime soon and, and needed to support himself. So I stayed with that uh, and then got into the internal side of it as I progressed and really developed a, 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 a skill set and, and, a, and a like of the internal component uh, of, of, the long, of, of, of asset protection. So I stayed with Kmart for some time, went to, to uh, Federated Department Stores, Burdines in, uh, in Florida, uh, and then Burdines uh, merged with an allied company, in Mo- Moss Brothers in Florida, and became one large group. I stayed with them for about seven years, uh, a brief stint at Montgomery Wards for about three years, and then uh, moved to Home Depot 
where I was for about 16 years. Um, and finally, uh, at Walmart for about just under three years, and then I've been at Florida Decor for just over a year and a half. Uh, and the last probably 10 to 12 years uh, have been uh, a real high concentration on internal uh, in particular and on investigative techniques and, and, and processes overall um, in that retail world. It's a great summary, and I appreciate it, Tony. And, you know, I guess for our listeners, those that uh, are in different areas um, of the business or in the uh, industry, if you will, you know, describe the difference a little bit about between internal and external uh, words that you, Tom, and I have used our entire career, um, the insider threat uh, versus external. What, what does that look like for you? How to, uh, and as you evolve from Kmart to floor and decor through the years? Yeah, so yeah, we all, I've always broken down internal versus external. I mean, yeah, obviously some external is the, is the person that doesn't work for me. It's an external source. It's a, it's a customer. It's an accomplice of an associate. Uh, it is an organized group. <clears throat> and there's a lot of bleed over. Uh, my, a lot of the internal investigations have that nexus that, impact, that, that you know, brings in an accomplice. Uh, an example would be you know, the, the so-called line void or, or item correct investigations that drive a lot of internal business at, um, at big box retailers. You know, by default, if you have an associate handing something out to somebody, then there's probably an external component as well. So they, they kind of blend together. Uh, but I, I do try to categorize you know, the processes we run based on that you know, outside customer accomplice versus the, you know, the inside associate. And, and the internals to me always have the greater potential for damage because you know, they're in the, my associates are in the building before we open, after we close, they, they touch, my registered associates touch every customer that leaves the store. Uh, they touch every transaction that impacts my inventory up or down. They handle money, they handle credit. Uh, so I think one dishonest associate can have a much greater impact on a business uh, than th that external component, all things being equal. That's great feedback, great insights. Tom, let me go over to you. Um, you've got a ton of experience in the same area, um, and we're primarily talking today about internal theft and fraud, uh, even though we're talking about some collusion and external. But, uh, Tom, thoughts, questions from you? Yeah, I mean, uh, first, uh, welcome to the podcast, Tony. I think we actually worked at Home Depot at the same time. I, I was there about 20 years ago uh, for okay. a four-year period, but, uh, but uh, it's a small world in the industry. I, I, my question is really around, and this is a loaded question, I know that, around all of the changes in the last 10 years, and what have, what have you been seeing with the, specifically the fraud and even internal investigations with the introduction to the e-com world and, you know, today, buy online, pick up in store, same-day delivery out of store. What are you seeing in, uh, as a trend today, and do you see it, it, it steadily increasing? Do you see anything that's working to stop it? Well, I see one of the things we're seeing is the, the liability or exposure at, at returns. Um, you know, some companies I've worked for had segregated returns desks and segregated returns cash, cashiers, uh, and I could separate those out of the data and look at them, and then other companies I've worked for, they, they kind of blend together. And as we're dealing with BOPUS and Boris, buy online, return, and store, um, as these changes take place at POS, if, if we're not, you know, aware of, a, what, are those, what is that cashier's ability at POS to make changes in the virtual world? And then what is the customer's ability sitting in that virtual world 
to, to impact what we do at a register, and that's where those liabilities, you know, sit. So, you know, Boris, we've got, uh, we have um, a company I work for didn't have very good exception reporting to indicate when a customer had made a purchase and then completed that refund inside the store, and that communication was incomplete back into that customer record. So uh, until we started looking for it, we, we didn't realize that customers would have purchased one item um, online and refunded that item six or seven times. Uh, in that particular occasion, POS didn't communicate back into the electronic journal to decrement that customer's receipt, that online receipt. So again, just a hole that at the time we weren't aware of and we had to go back and kind of recreate and fill. And it's, so I think that's where the liabilities are is the technology runs ahead of the infrastructure you know, and, and, and the framework of, of POS and the e-com platform, um, we have operators sometimes that come up with processes to help drive customer throughput and, and customer experience, and, and they may not communicate well with, you know, the side of the group that has to keep the chickens in the hen house, and, and we don't see these exposures until they've already been exploited. So that's, that's you know, on a macro level, that, that's kind of where I see our opportunities. Yeah, that's a great that's a great overview. How about from a human standpoint? From you personally, have you changed the your investigative methodology because of some of those things that you just mentioned? Uh, yeah, so I I didn't have a lot of experience up until the last few years of dealing dealing with ecom issues, uh, and and what I've found at least everywhere I've worked in that most organizations as they start to get into the virtual world, they've got separate you know, investigative groups for brick and mortar, one for brick and mortar and one in the virtual world. And at least in my experience where it just came from, they didn't cross over very well. There wasn't a lot of communication, which led to the problems that I just described. Uh, so, you know, where I am now, I don't necessarily own that e-com investigative group, but we sit down nearly weekly. Uh, and they bring to me all of their issues coming from the e-com side uh, and then given with the data and the stuff they give me, I'm able to go into the POS side and the physical side and see, you know, where those penetrations are. Uh, and we've, A, established some curbs so we have better communication uh, in both directions from brick and mortar to the e-com platform and then e-com back to brick and mortar. Uh, so we can identify those anomalies of, you know, returns greater than sales or where we've got, several orders coming from a particular IP or, or a particular identifier, uh, but using different tenders and different accounts as we look for those, those compromises or actually the compromised accounts that are finding their way into the hands of people and using virtual platform to make the sales and then sending in runners to do the pickups. We've got, I guess, an advantage to a small degree in that my stuff is not necessarily desirable in and of itself, meaning uh, BOPIS at a Walmart or at a Home Depot, there's a lot of desirable products there that, that are the end unto themselves. Um, in my world, I don't have a lot of people trying to get my stuff out unless they've already sold it to somebody else. Um, I have some power tools, and, and those are always desirable, but as far as a pallet of tile, it's just not practical to get a pallet of tile out unless you've got someone to sell it to. So that creates... Uh, trails, I guess, or, or, or footprints uh, that we can go follow, and, and we're trying to get out there and get in front of who's um, commissioning business 
and then trying to get into our stores either through the e-com platform or physically uh, to try to get that merchandise out. So it, it does give us a bit of an advantage in, in some of those areas just based on the merchandise that we sell. But uh, the most important thing is, is to have a foot in both worlds uh, and not be siloed. So, you know, I, I spent the last couple of years learning the e-com exposures uh, and then coming here, we're a, a smaller company. Um, again, we don't have necessarily the risks that you know, big box uh, or, or groceries may have. Uh, we don't sell gift cards, for example, third-party or, or closed-loop gift cards. Um, we don't sell you know, some of the most desirable sh shoplifting or, or theft merchandise or the stuff that's you know, most likely to get converted in a refund. Uh, but again, we, we do have the stuff that's desirable to a niche audience. And our most important thing is, is that, you know, we sit in both worlds and we have that communication with that group so that, you know, we don't miss anything. So, Tony, I was going to ask you, um, do, how do you detect and investigate some of these internal issues? Um, what are you allowed to talk about? Um, what's going to help our listener understand detection and, and even how you use ways that we detect uh, internal or other theft or fraud uh, to deter these people. But what are some of your best detection uh, methods that you've got right now to understand something is happening or there's even a pattern here? Well, I think the, the biggest thing is, is first establish what's normal. Um, uh, Exception-based reporting, exception tools are something that I've, I've lived in for the last several years, either on the development side or on a deployment side or on the training side. Uh, and it really comes down to knowing what, what's normal, what is, how does that flow look? You know, in, in, a, in a closed environment like a store, there, there's, a, there's a pattern, there's a rhythm, uh, there's normality. And being able to, from the data perspective or, or from the physical perspective or even from video analytics, being able to know what's norm and, and identify that anomaly. Uh, the, the analogy I've used is in a world where all the particles are, are, are spinning left, be able to see that one particle that's spinning right uh, and track that. So you know, we build our EBT um, both internally and externally. We have an external third-party tool, um, the, uh, the verify, the, I'm sorry, the secure tool from Appish Retail, uh, plus some in-house tools as well um, and on the e-com side, uh, we have, again, some, some third-party tools that they really didn't want me to discuss. Um, so we establish normal. Um, for On the inside, I know what my refund flow looks like. I know what the average refund looks like. I know what the average dollar looks like. I know uh, what is the average of scanned versus keyed items at the returns desk. So you know, we write the logic to, to we figure out where the curves are. Uh, what is that? that obstacle that stops that dishonest cashier, say, from, from going farther? Is it a human intervention at a particular dollar threshold? Is it a, a POS prompt? You know, is it, is it some feedback from the register or, or from, you know, from the associate? We figure out where those obstacles are, and then we try to figure out you know, what are the ways around those obstacles. So we try to chart the path in order to achieve the goal of either getting that refund or getting that merchandise out or, or getting that, that compromised credit card through the register, uh, what is the path to get to that goal? And then we, we camp along that path. You know, and it, it, like it to hunting, we, we pick off, you know, those that get past the obstacles that the registers have put up or that the organization has put up uh, and, and try to get to where 
the returns are worth the the rewards are worth the risk, and then we we pick them off for lack of a better term. So I mean, our our, our refund rates are, are established, our, our norms are established, our merchandise sales are established. Now, we have things that you don't generally sell one of. So if I have a lot of sales of one a quantity of one of this item, that in and of itself becomes an anomaly. Yeah, and, and we we build our our resources to go down those paths and, and pick off those that part of the population that wants to stray down that path. All right, excellent. So my next question I had, uh, Tony, was talk about if you would, um, you know, does your organization assign different investigators or places you've worked to do in-store versus online or external theft and fraud? You know, what's that? What does that look like? And I think you've worked. You, I know you've worked in different sized retailers, uh, both in the number of stores and the dispersion across the U.S. and so on. So can you describe that? What's that look like? And it's funny because it's, it's changed, but more and more I see in-store AP managers becoming part of the, the management organization, key carrying managers, responding to alarm calls, helping customers, and still tasked with the AP function. Uh, and I see them becoming more and more generalists. Uh, so in, in, a, in a previous life, uh, we built, we selected a small group of, of specialists, those that had a, a, an investigative background, had a, a data background, had an interviewing background, uh, and we built up some data tools and some video tools and basically turned them loose. We, we did the same thing. We, we established what was normal. We assigned this group um, with, with several thousand stores. We broke the group up regionally uh, and started writing logic to identify you know, dishonesty at the registers. Uh, we started looking for receiving issues, anomalies we'd seen in the back in an RTV, uh, and we, we pointed them at that as specialists. So their, their sole purpose was to work within these tools uh, and find dishonesty, uh, or, or if nothing else, find operational issues causing shrink, but the, the primary focus was on dishonesty. Uh, and then the next step would have been, you know, we, we, were, we had to package cases, package investigations, you know, and send them to the generalists in the field uh, with a couple of goals that it, it turned key furnished enough that, you know, the interviewer in the field could pick it up, validate it, and be comfortable with the, with, with the data and the, the evidence there, and then, then go conduct a, a successful interview and get admission. So we, it was it was. It was a lot of fun, actually, because you know I, we hadn't done that before, and I hadn't seen a lot of other people do that, or, or other organizations may have, but it was nice for us to get into it. And we 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 came with some really strong, specialized people that could build these cases, um, and to, it helped because the the generalists out in the field, again, their plates aren't big enough for all that they have to do in the store. Uh, some of these AP managers and some of these larger retailers. Uh, have a huge uh, task in front of them from the safety side, from the operational side, from the theft and fraud, the shrink prevention side. Uh, so the easier we could make it for them, um, the better. And it found out we were starting to get better interviews, uh, a better quality of investigation, because what we handed to that end user uh, was something that they could easily validate and replicate and make themselves comfortable, and it taught them more and more skills on their part to, to enhance those investigations with the tools they had in the stores. Uh, and it also, they started to become better interviewers because, A, they were getting more interviews to do. We were, we were doubling and tripling 
case count in, in, some, in some ways. Uh, and they were more comfortable with the information we gave them, so they were more confident. So overall, uh, the skill set of, of our end users uh, was enhanced. And it also created another pool for us to go into as, as my investigators moved on to other roles, I had a, a great pool to go move into. And I see that happening in the retail world. Again, with, with places I've worked, uh, that field, a, there seems to be a larger gulf between the field AP structure and the corporate AP structure. Uh, I, I see companies where the field AP structure reports to uh, the merchants or, or the operators, the operational folks in the field, uh, and only has a dotted line to that corporate AP structure. So it, it's, it's becoming much more specialized on, on the corporate side and much seems to be much more generalized in, in the field players. I think that's a, a great point. I guess the, my question would be for the group. I think we're all fixed with the uh, crossover between jobs, the, so in some cases, job eliminations or mergers for a business stake. Um, today, when you're looking to hire someone for your team, do you think differently than you did 10 years ago? Yeah, I mean, I used to hire, when I was uh, you know, at, a, at a regional level, I would, look for store detectives or, or, you know, operations managers to move up into that AP manager role. Um, now, I sometimes, you know, depending on what I'm looking to fill, uh, we've taken some store operators uh, and, and taught them the investigative skill set. Um, we've had some great data folks come in that understand data that can work in, in, a, in a DB2 or in a, in a SQL environment and translate that into, you know, what happens in a store. Um, some of the, I've looked at law enforcement. I've had some luck with law enforcement folks. I, I think a lot of law enforcement people tend to be very black and white, and uh, we don't necessarily have that luxury in, in a retail environment uh, of a yes or no, guilty, not guilty call. You know, we have to work within, you know, a, a more of a civilian mentality. So I've had some wonderfully successful people come in as, as uh, central or field investigators working for me that came out of law enforcement, uh, but it's, it's not always a, a given. So there's a wide range of people. Uh, I do like people that understand what happens in the store, that, that, that know that, that normality, that know that environment, and, and are tuned in to be able to pick out you know, things that, that break that normality of a store and, and teach them the data piece. I think one of my most successful investigators um, was an old school APM floor walker, catching shoplifters, dragging them in, former law enforcement, former military before that. Uh, it was just old school uh, and came in and we, we taught him to work in a SQL environment before we had, you know, a lot of the exception-based tools we had now, uh, starting to write queries. And then it was amazing because he understood innately what happens at a register and, and how uh, a, a cashier does what they do at a register and why they do it. And as soon as he could you know, work at the macro level and, and fly at 10,000 feet and watch that data flow across several hundred stores, uh, it connected. And, and he became one of the most, most gifted investigators I have ever had. So I mean, they come from all sides. You just got to be able to recognize someone's skill set uh, be able to translate it into, you know, what you need. Uh, another question I had for you, Tony, if I might, is uh, how do you tie together 
uh, in-house information, data sources, um, in-house talent and, uh, you know, expert resources, uh, and then some of the external resources you work with to, again, detect and define and then to handle uh, uncovered now theft and fraud. Right. So one good thing about our group is it, it's kind of a small group, the, the retail AP, LP group within this universe. It's, it, it seems like there's a lot of the same players, and, and sometimes we just end up switching jerseys. So it, we all kind of know each other. Um, I leverage IAFCI a lot for banking and, and other retail and, and law enforcement sources. I leverage LPRC uh, for, for you know, contacts in other retailers and other sources. Uh, but most of it is just that, that DNA that, you know, we've all carried with us for the last 30 years. We, we know this guy. We know this, 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 associate, this, this investigator. This, I work for this director. This regional work for me. Um, and for me, at least, it, it's all kind of ad hoc, um, which is, I mean, it's, there's a ton of institutional knowledge out there, and it's, it's great to tap on. I'd like to say I had a, a very systemic process, you know, for, for networking. I, for good or for bad, I don't. I'm kind of old school. It's all kind of in my head and, and, and in my notebook. Um, but, again, I just try to reach out to keep these people in mind. Um, for example, law enforcement. Uh, again, since we're still rather small, um, we haven't got a, a significant law enforcement networking process. So what I started doing was every time we open a store, I reach out to that local chief or that local sheriff and just introduce myself, introduce our team. Um, and, and the first thing I say is, is if you ever need video, uh, if you need transactional information, if you need something that, that we can provide, um, we will make it as, as easy as possible for you to get it, you know, through the appropriate means, but, but as streamlined as possible. Uh, and our legal department has, has supported this a thousand percent. So you know, as we're starting to make inroads into getting law enforcement reaching out and asking us for help, which for me is, is the best place to be in because if they're asking us for help, uh, A, we can provide it as a good corporate citizen, and B, you know, we can leverage that down the road if we need assistance, if we need to shop a case, or if we have a workplace violence issue that we need an immediate response on. And I think, you know, you touched on something that's very important um, and something that Tom and I have talked about repeatedly on, on crime science. And, uh, Tony, in this case, the community, the retail loss prevention and asset protection community, working with law enforcement partners and, and, uh, is a relatively small it may be tens of thousands of people overall, but still a small, tight-knit community all trying to solve the same things. You mentioned at LPRC and so on. We have working groups and ways to accommodate that, as well as the uh, industry associations and others, uh, ORCAs and so forth. Um, but how do you how do you work now and how have you in the past coordinated, Tony, with other retailers and with law enforcement uh, to, to better understand what's coming your way and to better solve problems you've already detected. Okay, understood. So I've worked with some orcas in the past. Um, uh, I was along with, um, I think, Dave Magersup and a couple, uh, a couple of others were on the ground floor to create the, the Georgia, the Gray Orca, uh, the, the Georgia Retail Association, ORC Association. Uh, I think those orcas are great. Um, we're, where I am now, we're, we're starting to move into that. 
it, it hasn't necessarily been a priority with us because you know, we're smaller and this is kind of a different business model. So kind of getting used to that. But I think the Yorkers are probably a good starting point. Um, and again, the, 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 the work groups within the LPRC and, and other industry associations. Uh, so for me, it's, it's probably going to be the Orcas moving forward. Um, where I work, um, I, biggest thing for me is leveraging the people I still know. Um, Home Depot, for example, I, I and Home Depot share a lot of, of problems, uh, a lot of liabilities based on some of the products that we sell. Uh, so you know, leveraging those people for me is, is probably is how I'm doing it now. Uh, again, I, as I said, I'm not probably as organized or systemic as I, as I could be, but you know, that's the way we're moving forward. Orcas and those networks that I've, that I've carried with me. Fantastic. Can you tell me a little bit about working with law enforcement? Where does that come in handy, Tony? What are what are what's a good example of that? Where uh, you developed a partner in law enforcement, a detective, an investigator, um, and that that person helped you um, with some of the situations that you came up with that you uncovered, you and your team. Oh, absolutely. Um, we had uh, a recent internal uh, and the shopping into law enforcement. I mean. Some of the things we do, we have to do remotely given uh, travel limitations and, and the very, very limited staff I have. So there's times when we may do a phone interview uh, and then have to walk a store manager through how to create this package and get law enforcement in. Uh, so we had to do one of those out in another state. And the law enforcement was, you know, they weren't crazy about it in that it, it, it's, I, I, from a, from a, a law, from a detective's perspective, I don't want someone to drop a folder on my desk and say, "Here, read this, and then go arrest somebody." So obviously, we have to make it, you know, appealing, you know, appealing, uh, and, and as straightforward and as you know, as, as clean as we possibly can. And in the midst of that, we had um, a, a shooting take place outside of our store, not related to our store, uh, but we had cameras that were pointed in the general direction. Uh, we received a call from the same agency, and we dropped everything. We had video downloaded as best we could. It, it wasn't great, but it, it was what they wanted. Uh, downloaded, prepared, uh, legals, you know, sign off and approval, and in their hands. And I think they, they realized that you know we were serious. We're not going to be the people that expect law enforcement to show up when we call them, but otherwise, you know, we're too too busy to help them. Uh, so. It got me traction on my internal, uh, and which they turned around and closed out. And then even better, uh, we had a, um, an identity theft slash credit fraud situation going on, same store, uh, where we had a couple had, had opened uh, a fraudulent account or, or account takeover. So they'd taken an existing account and done a takeover and were in the store making a large purchase. And the store had recognized it, was able to you know, reach out to us and we could validate that the credentials used were, were, were invalid. Uh, we found a victim, so we had everything we needed. Uh, we were able to stall them, and I was able to reach out to the detective we had helped before, and the response was, was wonderful in that it was darn near a full-blown tactical response. It was wonderful to watch live on video uh, remotely uh, as you know, the, the transaction was completed, uh, took possession of the merchandise, and then a very professional but a very aggressive Law enforcement response immediately surrounded them, and it was a very clean um, takedown. There were no injuries; just no, nobody got hurt. It was surgical, and they were 
in cuffs and out of the way, and it's it's now rolled into a federal nexus with a lot of identities that were compromised ended up in these guys' car. So showing them that, you know, as a corporate citizen, when the, if we have something that we can provide for them, we'll do it, you know, whether we want something or not, I think goes a long way to, you know, getting a response from them when we turn around and say, hey, can you help us? Here's what we can give you. That It's amazing. Yeah, building that credibility um, you're always there for them, and that makes them want to be and more likely to be there when, when you need them, it sounds like, Tony. Um, let me ask you this. Do you, you map, do you map and pattern theft and fraud problems uh, to get an idea of where they're mostly popping up in, in particular stores or DCs or office environments or with certain people and so on? You talked about you always want to understand what's normal, what's baseline, and, and exceptions to that are someplace I'm going to start. But how do you map that? What are some of your investigative tools, digital software, uh, other tools that you use to, to understand, to look for, to make sense of, to tie together, and so on? One of the best ones we use and, and is whatever case management system you've had. I mean, I've had several different case management systems. Some were really large and, and bloated, and some were very small and, and a thin client. Uh, but if your data is good, I mean, we, we're bringing one in where we're, we're, we've got a, a, a rather agile um, application that we're using, and we've created um, portals for the stores to go ahead and start, you know, entering incidents as they see them, parking lot incidents, damage incidents, cash shortages, um, law enforcement requests, anything that, that is outside, you know, normal course of business. Uh, we've laid some, some clear protocols as to what we expect to be reported versus, you know, what they don't necessarily have to escalate. Um, and so we're kind of in the, the, the baby steps of, of getting all that data and starting to map. So, yeah, to that point, you know, we'll be able to see where are my parking lot break-ins, where are my car break-ins, uh, where is my uh, vandalism. We use CAP index, obviously. Um, we're looking at uh, some video analytics as well uh, that the, the merchandising group is actually taking advantage of as far as, you know, heat mapping and dwell, but we're, we're kind of shoehorning into that as well uh, to help us at the, at the micro level, at the store level. So you know, to your point, it, it still goes back to establishing what's normal. Uh, the biggest thing is for us, again, it's, it's case management. It is um, an associate anonymous tip line that, you know, all rolls into data collection. A cap index, we use shrink results, obviously. Uh, we look at merchandise flow. Are we, are we growing merchandise? at a higher rate in one part of the country than in another part of the country. Um, do we, we have merchandise that is, you know, that sells better, you know, tile may sell better in some parts of the country than wood. So outside of that macro level of the store environment, we'll look at a product line and see where we sell it. And then within that subset, we'll start to look for what are my anomalies, you know, within that subset for that particular product line. All of this is pretty much to try to either predict new activity in order to get resources for the most part. I mean, if we have, you know, get, get uh, CapEx and OpEx in the right place so that, you know, based on our experience, we know that this part of the country, we're going to have more parking lot break-ins. So we're probably going to look at more external cameras, more um, impressions of control, more signage. Uh, if we have slips and falls in this part of the country due to weather, we're going to start looking at our, you know, build our, our resources to minimize that ahead of time. So we've got our own experience to leverage, 
Um, we've got industry trade groups. Again, LPRC to throw them out there again to go out and leverage and, and hit other retailers and, and dwell on use their experience to try to figure out where it's going to be. Excellent. Thanks, Tony. Uh, Tom, let me go over to you. So I guess my I have just one other question. With all of the, the new technology advancements that we've seen in the last five to ten years, how do you balance the human side versus technology, specifically with your investigation? You know, how do you find the right mix of how much human intervention versus technology you use to work that investigation? Um, it's kind of a feedback. I mean, if it, if if it doesn't work, then I shift. I'm, it's the one thing that I think we can guarantee is that you can't guarantee anything. There's there's always a change. There's a there's a, a, a social engine. There's changes in social engineering that that change the way people think and do things. There's there's firmware and hardware changes that that you know impact how people move through a building or or move through a process. There's there's software and, and firmware applications that that you know move people up and down a path or direct people along a particular path. Um, it's 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 ever it's never changing. But you know, there's times I feel like you know John versus the the, the steam engine. Um, nothing to me is going to be able to solve that case without a successful interview. I still need somebody, a human, that understands how people do what they do, why people do what they do, and understands what in that environment, you know, what where are the obstacles in that environment where you know, this dishonest cashier, or this dishonest associate, or this, this external um, shoplifter or, or ORC group, you know, where are the liabilities? Uh, I, need to, I still need to camp there. I've never seen a piece of software yet that stops somebody from walking out the door, sat them down, got an interview, and got admission. So until we've come up with either a minority report process or, or some systemic way to sit down and talk to somebody and determine why they did what they did uh, and get that statement, get that admission, uh, then I still need very competent, um, intelligent, and, and professional humans at the end of that information pipeline. Thank you very much. Uh, Reed, I'll turn it over to you. Okay, thanks, Tom and uh, Tony. So this has been excellent, um, Tony. We're at the end of our uh, normal broadcast time, and I really, really want to uh, say on behalf of the LPRC, the Crime Science Podcast team, Kevin Tran, our producer, Tom, me, and our esteemed colleague, uh, thanks, Tony, for coming on here, taking the time. I know your time is beyond valuable. Um, and I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of the challenges and some of the techniques of uh, detecting and investigating uh, internal, particularly internal fraud and theft and uh, what we need to learn from there. So, again, thank you very much, Tony, for appearing with us today on Crime Science. Thank you for asking me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. The views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.